Los Angeles's undisputed queen of mean, the original momager, Kris Jenner, finds herself five steps closer to the role she was born for, President Trump's White House communications director. Hear me out, folks. A reality TV show president needs a reality TV show PR manager. And who does it better than Kris Jenner? Here's why we're finally reaching that uncanny valley. Kanye West, who just engaged in some Twitter footsie with the president, is married to Kim Kardashian. Kourtney Kardashian just testified on the Hill to advocate for modernizing makeup regulation. And Kanye is evidently now friends with Anthony Scaramucci. Yes, the former White House communications director. Chris for comms director is happening, folks. Oh, and by the way, the Korean War might be over, but why would we talk about anything other than Kanye today? I'm Tiana Lowe. And I'm Avery Hogarth. This is the political pregame. Sit down and have a drink with us. After the most explosive week on Twitter yet, you'll need it. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. This week, we are drinking White Dragon Cocktails in honor of the dragon energy clearly represented between Kanye West and our beloved President Donald Trump. And, you know, your fellow hosts of the political pregame. I think that we have dragon energy. Oh, totally. Yeah, right? I mean, I have a tennis photo that's comparable to Trump's, so (laughs) if he can have dragon energy, so can I. Uh, This week, we will be talking about, of course, Kanye West and his Twitter, I guess, explosion this week (laughs) and everything that surrounded that in regards to the praise on the Republican side of things for finally getting a A-list celebrity on their team, as well as from the left side of things, everyone criticizing Kanye for his allegiance to President Trump. And then moving on, we'll we'll be talking about Alfie Evans um, and the court case that is going on there in the UK in regards to healthcare. So let's dive right in. Yeah. Okay, so for those of you who have been living under a rock for the last week, I think this is probably one of the most inescapable cultural phenomena of, of, of the entire Trump administration. This week, Kanye West going full MAGA. <laughs> so it all started over the weekend when Kanye has brought his Twitter back because he's dropping a new album, and he does this every time he drops a new album. He did this for Pablo. Um That was when the infamous uh, Mark Zuckerberg tweets came out when he asked money for his creative process. And so now Trump has brought back his Twitter. And over the weekend, he tweeted, I love the way that Candace Owens thinks. Candace Owens is a a black conservative who's one of, um, I think she's the communications director for Turning Point USA, the, the college conservative organization led by Charlie Kirk. So that on its own was already pretty significant. I mean, enough so that Twitter created a moment for it, calling Candace Owens far right, which then was heavily disputed on the right side of things, because Candace Owens is like by no means like a Mike Cernovich style figure. But that that started that started it was a trickle, and then all of a sudden we all just saw it coming. So he started tweeting things like self-victimization is a disease. And then you just you just knew what was gonna happen. So as the week progressed, Trump started tweeting out things that sounded vaguely conservative, and it all culminated with Wednesday, which might have been the greatest day on Twitter of all time. Trump tweeted out that he <laughs> loves President Trump and that he Kanye his tweeted brother. that. Or I'm sorry, yeah, Kanye tweeted that. That he and Trump are brothers, uh, and this is the infamous dragon energy. 
then tweeted out a photo of him wearing a MAGA hat doing the, like, okay, like, sign that people think is alt-right. I don't really know if it is. I'm Honestly, I can't keep up anymore. And then... <laughs> And then ends the evening by tweeting out, Obama was president for eight years and nothing in Chicago changed. Boom goes the dynamite. All shit hits the fan. Everyone freaks out. It, it, that, was, that was one of the crazier days on Twitter. I, I don't know who lost their minds more, the left or the right. Well, one thing that I would like to make clear, and I think, you know, Kim obviously had to come and speak out on Twitter in regards to all of this because media was going nuts saying is... Kanye mentally ill, his tweets seem just off the radar, and they seem to really not be making sense. Um, I think that Kim made a good point in that people, just because people are tweeting what they feel like and it might be out of the norm, you can't point that to mental instability or mental illness. That's not really something to be joked at or to be diagnosed via, you know, a computer screen or a telephone screen. So I'd like to make that clear, but... One of the main things that came up, uh, along with Kanye kind of tweeting his allegiance to Trump, was that a lot of people, especially on the left, felt like, and, and a lot of uh, people of color on the left, felt as though Kanye was abandoning uh, the African-American community by pledging allegiance to Trump, to which, um, and, you know, I guess the undertone there is to the Republican Party, to which Chance the Rapper kind of retorted back on Twitter saying that not all black people have to be Democrats. So this kind of sparked a bigger debate. And it's very true. Not all people have to be Democrats. And I don't think anyone is really upset that Kanye is not a Democrat. But the key difference here is they're not upset that he's not a Democrat. They're upset that he's fanboying over, let's face it, pretty much a racist who is discriminated against minorities and more importantly, although, people of color. Although, okay, here's the thing. I, in the primaries, vociferously opposed Trump because I realized that Trump was not a normal conservative, quote-unquote. In fact, in my view, between Trump's position on economics and his idea about what makes America great, these were distinctly anti-conservative ideals. Obviously, I think that in his governance, he is committed to some policies that are far more conservative than I ever expected. But at its core, from the fact that he came down an elevator and referred to Mexicans as the they're murderers and rapists. I had a lot of problems with Trump's rhetoric. However, we cannot, the left can no longer pull the, oh, it's not about Democrats, it's just about Trump card, when everyone, everyone says Trump is uniquely dangerous. Oh, but, but Mike Pence, also Frankenstein. It does not work when people say I'm more scared of Mike Pence or I'm more scared of Ted Cruz or I'm more scared of Marco Rubio than I am of Donald Trump. And that's sort of the hypocrisy of this. The, the left has, has flown off of the euphemism treadmill. I'll admit, there are Democrats that, uh, the way I view the left, there is a gradient in terms of people who I, who, I, who I like more and who I like less. I think someone like Doug Jones, the senator from Alabama, or Joe Biden, and I probably have a lot of overlap, at least in terms of our approach to policy, even though, I, even though maybe our, our manifested outcomes would be different. But... You know, I think, like, that's someone I could, like, negotiate with. I can't negotiate with people who view the lens through identity politics. But what the left has done in their consistent demonization, and this has been happening our entire lifetime. It happened when George Bush couldn't have just been a flawed president who had foreign policy faux pas that resulted in 
death and destruction, but we're not necessarily ill-intentioned. No, instead, he had to be the most malicious war criminal we've ever had in the White House. And then it continued with the demonization of Mitt Romney, who truly is probably one of the best and most ethical men to have ever ran for office, um, let alone, like, politicians. But when everyone is evil, then no one is. And and, that, and that's sort of my beef with... I under, I. I mean, the Kanye business is obviously interesting, and that's what we're going to talk about, but I was far more interested by the fact that Chance the Rapper pointed out not all black people have to be Democrats. No, but what I'm saying, and not all black people do have to be Democrats. If your ideologies line up with the Republican Party and you're someone who is African-American, by all means, vote Republican. Because I think there is a place for black people under the umbrella of the Republican Party platform. Of course there is. Uh, People who want to be fiscally conservative and value that over some other maybe social aspects. If you're someone who's black and that's what you line up with, sure, it's the same way someone who's white might, you know, identify with some of the, some of the platform on the left, but really value some certain key elements on the platform of the right more and therefore vote Republican. That's fine. And I don't think anyone is necessarily saying because you're black, you have to vote Democrat. Like unequivocally, you have to vote Democrat no matter what. That's not what it's about. And that's why I think, you know, Chance kind of missed the mark in his tweet because people weren't angry with Kanye for being, you know, I guess suggesting that he's a Republican. People were angry with Kanye for praising Trump as the figure, not not the party as a Republican party, but Trump as a figure. Everything that he has said about people of color throughout the campaign trail, throughout his time in office, he's a racist. He is. And so, like, I think the support... Of Trump, I understand the outrage from the African American community and from even anyone else because how are you supporting someone who has said such awful things about people who are just like you? No, honestly, okay, no. Kim Kardashian West was totally right. He's a free thinker. Is that not allowed in America? Because some of his ideas differ from yours, is, do, you, um, do you have to throw in the mental health card? That's just not fair. I mean, okay, the, the, the fact that we're even having the conversation of, of he cannot support this person because he is black and if he supports that person he is giving up his like what card carrying membership by all means you can disagree with someone's rhetoric and still think that trump's economic policies are astoundingly better for the black community in america i think that that's a possible opinion to have i mean trump has said horrible things about women Trump has probably done more horrible things to women than he's done to people of color in term if we're going to if we're going to actually play that game but I wouldn't fault women for supporting Trump. I mean, what I fault people for is for giving is for giving someone a free pass on everything, you know? For someone who just consistently has to say, I support this person unequivocally, regardless of whether they do good things or not good things. No one's saying Kanye can't support Trump. Clearly he can, and clearly he is. People are critiquing that, and I think he's open to that criticism for a result of what I just mentioned in regards to Trump's previous rhetoric towards people of color. And so he can't be alarmed with that criticism. Kim can't be alarmed with that criticism as it pertains to his support of Trump. And neither can Chance or anyone else because he has opened himself up for that criticism by pledging that support for all of the factors that I mentioned. Doesn't mean he can't support him because clearly he is, but don't think that that's going to be without criticism. I just think, like, the fainting couch leftism demonstrated in the last week over the possibility that one rapper might not fit in with, like, the thought police hive is, it's, it's, it's 
to me, it's disturbing on a cultural level just to think that we can't even have people in important spheres of art. And I, mean, I, I would argue that Kanye is obviously... Kanye is definitely the most influential producer of our time, if not one of the most influential musicians of our time. But the fact that one person having this opinion causes this apoplectic meltdown. It's, it, I mean, is that not disturbing? I mean, like, I'm, I was used... I went to Coachella just to see Beyonce. And Beyonce stumped for Hillary. Beyonce stumped for Obama. Beyonce stumped for every single candidate that I would never, ever, ever vote for. And that's not going to change my ability to enjoy her music. What, what would bother me is if her messaging started to change. If her messaging started to be exclusionary. But in my mind, it's not. I don't think Beyonce's messaging is exclusionary. If Kanye's messaging becomes exclusionary, if it becomes racist, which also I still just can't get over the Washington Post headline that Trump became or that Kanye became a member of the alt-right. Because last I call, recall, alt-right isn't really uh, fans of uh, people of color at all. They're but I really think that's what the um, fundamental criticism is to Kanye's support of Trump. But do you think that all people Trump identi- supporters are members pe- of the alt-right? No, people identified Trump as kind of a figure that's moving more towards the alt-right. But, it, so but that's anything, what it is. Trump has moved far more to the center since he's become president. Like the the peak of his the peak of his extremism was definitely during the campaign. I mean, in terms of governance, he's. I mean, again, I, I understand the presidency cannot be divorced for, or policy cannot be divorced from rhetoric when it comes to the presidency because the president is important as a ceremonial head of state as well. So and and obviously, like I've criticized Trump immensely when it comes to tariffs, when it comes to his Twitter account, but but to say that Trump is that to support his presidency. Is is aligning yourself with the alt right? I mean, I mean that's 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 the damage of identity politics. Identity politics inherently leave out anyone who doesn't fit that identity, which means that like the alt right kind of screwed themselves because like they can never accept a Kanye West or a Candace Owens. Yeah, well, I think what the connection there is is like obviously with Trump's presidency, it has definitely incited a larger alt right movement within America, and that can't be denied. And I think additionally with this kind of Twitter outrage from the left and this Twitter frenzy and the media frenzy that was also incited by Kanye's Twitter account to begin with. Yes. I mean, he was tweeting nonstop, pretty outlandish things, even outlandish things that weren't in direct correlation to politics. And so this was all incited by Kanye to begin with. And so of course the media is going to report on this. Of course the left is going to report on this. You're putting it on Twitter, the biggest site in the world to be able to just incite crazy reactions. So... Is anyone surprised by this? I'm certainly not. I mean, I'm not surprised by it, but God, don't take the bait so quickly. I mean, honestly, like, I have to say thank you to Kanye, thank you to Chance, and thank you to Kim for coming out with probably the best defenses for ignoring identity politics, ignoring the hive mentality, and ignoring, and this is something that Kanye has kind of always done, but ignoring... Whatever the fuck other people think. And that's something that I think is always me. It's the reason why Kanye's art was interesting. Like, I mean, if you just, from a pure musicality perspective, you can you can thank Kanye West alone. I mean, really just 808s and Heartbreaks, the album, for being responsible for Drake and every other musician of that ilk from, like, the past decade. But that's what Kanye's done. Kanye's built his entire career on not giving a fuck about what other people think. And so, so I, I just think it's funny that this is just the first time when everyone's outraged about it. It has to be because... Someone is a millimeter to the right of Claire McCaskill. You're telling me if Trump came, or if Kanye came out 
during the Bush presidency. And instead of saying that George Bush doesn't care about black people, if instead he aligned himself with the Bush presidency, that that would not leave the entire left up in arms. Of course it would, but the same way that the right can get angry when someone else aligns themselves with the left. I mean, this happens because on both like, we're sides. Used to it, though. Like, I mean, I mean, like, you, you don't hear people saying, oh, I'm not going to watch this movie because this person gave a fundraiser for Hillary Clinton, because that's all of Hollywood. What all this of would, Hollywood. No, what this relates Fundra- to, though, is... If it goes against the norm, of course, people are going to point it out. It is against the norm, and it is against what would be conventionally predictable for an African-American person, especially an A-list celebrity, given the fact that Hollywood, L.A. culture, all of that is notoriously leftist, for them to come out in support of Trump. Of course, that's against the norm. Of course, people are going to point that out. It would be the same if a hardcore evangelical pastor, knowing for, like, very popular celebrity evangelical pastor all of a sudden came out in support of a very leftist Democrat. And so the same, the same kind of attention would be drawn from the right to the left in that regard. I mean, I, I just think, like, the fact that the reaction was this unhinged, what, that, to me, I, it just makes me more concerned for our generation. The fact that it was that unhinged. Um... I, I, I don't think it makes me concerned because I think that it's totally predictable and I think it just goes hand in hand with everything that we've seen in the past two years with the influx of social media and how politics goes. I mean, to me, it's, like, it's a bigger I mean, problem every, of, everyone like, gets, it's idol Everyone gets vilified on the left. Everyone gets vilified on the right. But is it not disturbing that we are so personally reliant on the opinions of celebrities? Like, believe me, I believe that, that it's important for artists to embrace conservative lens of thinking like i think that it's good when we have art that reflects individualism rather than groupthink and i think that it's good that when we have art that's focused on human stories rather than just identity politics driven ones so so i am glad that kanye did this because i do think that it broke down a barrier I, I think like the next person who then tries to leave the hive will have an easier time doing so but but it's more but but that doesn't mean that because now Kanye says something, I'm going to subscribe to it as law. So just the fact that people have this emotional reaction. It's one thing to say, like, oh, this person's, like, dumb. But just just the, just the level of, of vitriol and just emotional response to this. I mean, we should not be worshipping celebrities for what they think. We should, I mean, we should be worshipping men, period. But I think that there's, there's, there's something to be said of you can highly admire someone's art you know you can highly admire someone's craft you can even admire their dedication you can admire a lot of things but just men are not gods and just how much how much value have we placed in so many of these celebrities that that this is the scale of the backlash i don't think it's surprising whatsoever and i honestly don't even think it's alarming whatsoever i think looking back through history politics has been notoriously emotional anything any political decision is incites an emotional response from the left or from the right or from everyone and so there's really no difference in this instance also throughout history people have looked up to any celebrity as a leader uh, whether that be politically whether that be spiritually whether that be career-wise so honestly like this isn't out of the realm of like what i would expect at all the only difference is now that it's broadcasted on twitter and, and really, that is the only difference here. 
politics always incites an emotional response and it always any political action or in or disaction or whatever always will promote a response that's emotional it'll always piss someone off or it'll always please someone so really this isn't surprising whatsoever and it, frankly to me it's not alarming whatsoever I mean, that's the exact same mentality of how we wind up with things like tariffs that are going to ultimately damage Trump's base, but just because we want to say F you to China. I mean, that's how we wind up with bad policy, because we do stuff that makes us feel good. It's a reason why, why, why we institute rent controls after wars, because we want to reward our vets, because we, have, we feel emotionally compelled to do so. But that also flies in the face of any sort of classical economics. You no, know? I'm, like, not, I mean, I'm not talking from a policy perspective. I'm talking about a reaction from the public. So that's not what causes rent control. That's not what causes tariffs. Those are the people in offices and in, in the legislature but that are passing opinion, that are passing those bills. Public opinion polls matter. No, public I'm, opinion I'm not talking about public opinion. I'm talking about public reaction. And so the reaction to something, the reaction to something once it was once it is done, you don't know the reaction until it's at, the act has been committed. You will never fully know the reaction until the act has been committed. So just like leading up to uh, the tax bill which was had terrible polling rates, terrible, even across the board, awful polling rates. But now afterwards, you look at the reaction and it's pretty much overwhelming po- overwhelmingly positive. But if you looked at it before the bill and you were just going off of public polling data, if anyone was thinking about, oh crap, like a bad reaction, they wouldn't have passed the bill. But you look at the aftermath and that's a positive effect. You look at the aftermath of other political decisions and you see there to be a very negative reaction when maybe the polls indicated otherwise okay, beforehand. If, if you're making the ex ante argument, then you just have to argue. Then you just have to view it through the lens of, Con- like Kanye hasn't actually done anything. If Kanye made an entire album, maga maga maga, then fine. Then you can make just like the pure like ex ante argument. But I, I. But in this case, it's opinion and opinion and reaction are the same things. It's just the difference being that something like steel tariffs, like, it's going to be very difficult to quantify the results of those for at least five years, whereas tax reform, everyone immediately saw their paychecks change. So, with, with regards to the whole Kanye thing, I mean, he is a private citizen. It's not like he's going to actually be able to, to do anything further. Like, this is... I mean, like, but, he's just yeah, saying of, stuff. But of course, so, so, of course so, so, so the reaction opinions. and the opinion are the same thing. And I'm just saying, like, I think to look at it so emotionally... It's so, I mean, like, obviously, like, we have a tribalism problem that's been heightened by the fact that we're so politically polarized and that, that now it's so easy to, like, remain in like, a specific echo chamber. But it's just, it's just disturbing. Like, I don't like the idea of thinking that people who, like, have this visceral reaction to a rapper tweeting out his own opinion. I mean, and also, Kanye is the, the original troll. Like, why fall for it? Kanye is doing this to promote his album, and and I hope that Kanye is not just like being completely disingenuous. I mean, I think that 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 would be unfortunate if he was just lying to the public. But even if he were, why why take the bait? I mean, I think that just goes back to the innate human reaction of being having an emotional response to anything. I don't think it's about Kanye, and I don't necessarily think it's about politics. I think it's just about a reaction that someone would have to anything that kind of pissed them off. I mean, and just I just like I don't even think that it really deserves this much media coverage and this much analysis or scrutiny because it's like okay, like anything a star does, of course there's going to be a reaction to it. When there's a scandal with the stars on cheating or when someone 
divorces someone, like uh, there's always going to be a reaction. This just happened to be about politics. Yeah, I mean, but this one, I mean, if you look at just 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 the amount of social media engagements between all of these encounters, every single one of Kim's tweets were at uh, every single one of Kim's tweets, Chance's tweets, Kanye's tweets, all in the six figures, and then Trump, of course, retweeting with. Very cool, Kanye. Um, Which only exacerbates the response. Yeah, no, I mean, that's... The funniest was when uh, the RNC tried to plug in a sale from MAGA hats using Trump's tweet, which I thought was funny. But um, I I just think... I think that this... The good that I'm going to take from this is the fact that Kanye is a pioneer. Kim was right when she said that. That when someone else expresses their opinion that's equally inflammatory in the future they will find it easier, they won't even get a response, and it will be in part because of Kanye, and I think that that in part is true. So, I mean, there's sort of the good lesson, I guess, to come out of it. I mean, I think it's always good to, like, have radicals on either side when it comes to challenging sort of hegemony. Um, but, yeah, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sure by the time... I mean, and also this is Kanye West, so I'm sure by next week he'll have broken out with full-throated support for Bernie Sanders because that's what Kanye does. He well, he also he also did tweet in that Twitter storm, too, that I love Hillary, too. So this isn't, you know, completely partisan left or right. I mean, he did tweet his support for Hillary. It just wasn't retweeted by Hillary saying, very cool, Kanye. Yeah, uh, I mean... Anyways, let's uh, let's move on to a potentially equally as polarizing topic, healthcare, as it relates to... Uh, a case in the UK uh, that's being taken up by British courts right now, um, Alfie Evans. Well, okay, this isn't really a healthcare argument. This is this is more of a uh, of one of legal jurisprudence. So, Alfie Evans is a 23 month year old British toddler. He has an an unidentified uh, neurological degenerative uh, disorder, and it's it, it's it's pretty evident that. Um, well, actually, no. I'm not going to say it's pretty evident that it's that it's terminal without any chance of salvation because because the fact is that it is it it is unidentified. So it's not that there's a single diagnosis. However, it's as it seems, Alfie Evans will likely die now. So Alfie Evans is staying at Alder Hay Hospital, and the Alder Hay Hospital physicians basically recommended that Alfie Evans be taken off life support. Uh, no other uh, palliative care, no experimental treatment, and that's that. And Alfie Evans' parents, he has two parents, they're married, they've been caring for him. They have been, first they were pleading with the UK to not pull his life support. And then Italy expedite, I think also at the urgence of Pope Francis, because he came out in support of Alfie Evans' parents, right, over their own child. So then Italy expedited granting Alfie citizenship and offered, they had a, they had a, um, an AirVac ambulance ready to take Alfie to a hospital in Italy. The Italian government had already signed off on it. They'd given him the citizenship. They were offering to do it for free. And the courts ruled against the right of the parents. So this is really a legal argument. And my, my one of the, my least favorite things that happens in these cases are the dregs of the British left coming out and saying, the government didn't decide. It was physicians and the courts. Yes, the courts are the government. And the thing about socialized healthcare is that then the doctors become parts of the state. So their insistence, it means that it's government decree. So the real issue is that if... Alfie Evans's parents had him at home. 
And if they did what the what the British government was doing to Alfie, which is remove him from life support and starve him and deprive him of water for 28 hours, both of Alfie's parents would be in jail for a very long time, as they should be, because that's torture. Now, instead, the British courts, when they pulled him off of life support, they said that he was going to die immediately. They said, we have to pull him off life support. This is a totally useless case. He will die immediately. And it's been now four days, four days that he's been off. And they let him go 28 hours without giving him any food or any water. They have police in his hospital bedroom to make sure that Alfie's parents don't put any ventilators back into him. The police forcibly removed um, their chaplain because they didn't want the hospital staff to feel guilty that they were killing a two-year-old baby. This is, it's, it's just the, and it just shows that there is a moral rot in Europe right now. The absolute disregard for a parent's right to save their own child's life. And this isn't even, and it's funny because everyone in the UK will say, yeah, but in America, you wouldn't get this service. You'd have to pay. Payment is not the issue. Italy's offering to save him for free. And if, if the matter is life and death of your own child, you will sell your house. You will refinance everything you own. Just to ha- I mean, at what point do, does, does life matter more than, than material payment? I don't know. I mean, this is one of those few cases where I just, I, I can't read about it for too long because it makes me so, I mean, this is my emotion coming out, I guess, but. One note that I would like to make is it's not, Italy's not offering to save him for free. They're, they're offering, offering to give him experimental and palliative care. They're offering to care for him uh, at a palliative level, which is the level and that experimental he, care, which is the level that he was receiving beforehand. Um, Starving someone for twenty eight hours is not palliative. They can't offer to save him uh, because he's in a vegetative state, but they're offering to try to do some additional measures as it comes to medical treatment. Um, why this law is in place in the first place is the 1989 Children Act, um, and it was designed to safeguard the child's welfare by giving the state limited powers to intervene um, against a parent's wishes in certain cases, which also include medical care under the law. And so why this law even exists in the first place is, ironically enough, first and foremost, to protect the child, uh, because as we all know, or as we should all know, sometimes, despite even good intentions, parents do not act in the best interest of their child. Parents are not medical professionals. Well, not all parents. And so in a lot of cases, this law has proven to do a lot of good, helping to advocate for the child with the courts making the decision um, by consulting healthcare professionals and basically finding out what the best treatment is for the child without parents just going forward and making an emotional decision or parents making a bad decision for maybe nefarious interests. In this case, this calls this law into question quite aggressively because I think, you know, after this case, we'll see maybe um, a reform in, in the law. We've seen lawmakers in uh, the UK already advocate for changes to this law because clearly uh, maybe this law is too strict and there are some loopholes that need to be made because in this case, obviously, there is a definite concrete back and forth battle between the parents and the courts. But what I want to make clear is that this law doesn't exist because of socialized medicine. This law exists to protect child welfare. And the argument can be made that in this case, the law is doing the opposite of that. It's not protecting child welfare. And 
maybe I can get on board with that. I'm not saying yes or no to that, but that is for the law to be reformed then. And that's this is what it's calling into question. But this isn't about socialized medicine. Doctors have a legal and ethical duty to care for their patients in what they believe to be their best interests. In this case, the doctors believe this to be the best interest of the child to stop further care because further care could and experimental treatments could further cause this child pain when they believe that there is no cure and that this child has been living in a vegetative state basically his entire life. So in this question, the doctors have made a judgment call. They believe that they cannot ethically or legally continue treatment on this child because they believe it'll cause further pain and damage than good. And so then that's where this law comes into place. It's, it's troublesome because if the parents are willing to continue treatment and doctors won't provide it, that's difficult. But at the end of the day, this is why the law is there. It's not because of socialized medicine. It's just because of trying to protect children. And in this case, the case can be made on both sides that the law is protecting this child or not protecting this child. But the law remains there, and now we'll probably see it reformed. Eh. Eh. This is where I have to nitpick. Okay, so why the law exists is not because of socialized medicine. Why the law is enforced in the way that it is is absolutely because of of socialized medicine, and here's why. In the American healthcare system, which is far from imperfect, or is, which is far from perfect, we operate on basic levels of supply and demand, which means that, I mean, and that's the reason why most experimental treatments and why most treatments for rare diseases are extremely expensive when they first started, because you usually have extremely wealthy families with sick children. Um, pioneering research and funding funding measures for these very rare diseases. At, on the outset, that contributes to the R&D, and then you have 20, 30 years later on, the rest of the world is reaping the benefits of these. So that's a major reason why American healthcare, that's, that's a large reason why American healthcare is so expensive, because we contribute the vast amount of R&D in the Western world. So when you have the British system that does not operate by the rules of supply and demand, what does it mean you're going to have other than shortages at any given time? Because when you don't have a market responding to to demand, it means that you will not have the amount of care, you will not have the incentive for physicians, researchers, nurses to enter the market that you need. It's why you hear time and time again about the NHS in the UK constantly having shortages of care. So when you have a law like this, which I'm not going to go into like whether what the intention of, of, of creating the law was, because I, I, you know what, in good faith, I'll say sure, that was because I, I knew, knew there were a number of child abuse scandals in the UK um, in the late 80s. However, the application of the law clearly demonstrates that, that this is in part the NHS trying to make do with their, with their, with their health care shortages. So what is the application of this law in this case? It is rationing. Right now what, what, the, what the courts and what the hospital have decided is that they are going to ration their care away from Alfie Evans. And that was a part of not giving him food and water for 28 hours. That was a part of taking him off of the ventilator. And then, and okay, so that's part of it. But technically, they could just let Alfie Evans just go to Italy, and then you you take the the, the rationing portion out of the equation. And so then you know, and then that's no longer about socialized medicine. It's not about the economic model of how these hospitals are funded. However, it is about a bigger theory of governance. It is about the idea that that the state is the religion, 
The Church of England is not the church, it is the state. It is the fact that the state demands supremacy over the rights of a child rather than the parents. And this would be a very different argument if if it was about a parent depriving a child of care. In America, if, if you're a parent and if you don't feed your child, Child Protective Services comes and takes your child away from you because that's negligence, at the very least, if not actual child abuse. It's a felony. If Alfie Evans' parents, again, to like extend the metaphor back to the specific case, if they were not giving him food or water for 28 hours in his own home, you can bet that every single person on the right would obviously say it's a correct application of the law for the police to come and take the child. The parents have lost their rights. However, for the state to actually stand in the way of a... There's, I mean, in the law, you know, there's the, um, what is it, the reasonable person standard? Any reasonable person would understand that that they're not asking to take him to the Church of Scientology. They're asking to take him to a an internationally recognized hospital. It's legit. It's not like they're going to go give him homeopathic care that might, like, make his death very painful. They're going to a, a recognized, legitimate hospital. But that they still stand in the way of that just shows how broken the understanding of the role of government is there. No, that's because the licensed healthcare professionals wholeheartedly think that it's wrong and it would be cruel to continue treatment. And that's why they starved him for 28 hours? To continue treatment on this boy. And that's why they starved him for 28 hours. You're using rhetoric that has been spewed out in the National Review and other- Okay, I'm sorry, okay. Did not give him food or water for 28 hours. They discontinued care. They discontinued feeding because and giving him water. That's not even taking out the ventilators. That's literally starving someone. That's very different. No, that's literally discontinuing care because they, first of all, believe that he would pass away almost immediately if they and, took him oh, off the okay, ventilators. Okay. And, and, and how, good is their expertise, how good is their expertise if he's alive four days later? Can I, can, I fini- can I finish my point? So they took him off the ventilators. Turns out... This kid has been still fighting. Put him back on the ventilators. Right now, he is still on the ventilators while the court case is being debated upon and while they're going through the appeal process. So, we'll see what the decision is. He can go on another ventilator in Italy, but these are healthcare professionals, and I think to question their integrity and their motives behind discontinuing care and saying that it's because of state rationing is wrong, and it's honestly, probably very, very, very insulting towards these medical professionals that take an oath that try their very best to save lives and try their very best to administer what they believe is the best treatment in the best interests of their patients. Medical professionals, the standards are the same across the world at any renowned hospital, at any renowned, anyone who's graduated, any renowned medical school. And so they're not in the business of rationing and seeing which patient gets to live and die based on government checks. They're in the business of trying to save lives when they can and reduce harm when they can. How? Okay, wow, so lots of things wrong with that. Okay, so for one thing, doctors question each other every single day. It's the reason why, it's the reason why if you stop subscribing to medical journals and if you stop going to conferences, you're out of the game. Why you can't stay in medicine? Because the, the nature of medicine has changed. If you, if you practice medicine for 50 years, you go through about five different generations of medicine. I mean, HIV within my own, my father's a physician. 
HIV was a death sentence, and now people can live with it and have totally normal lives. You lose the game if you stop paying attention, which means that physicians can actively debate care. And also, clearly, these physicians were totally off base if they said that he was going to die within 24 hours, and he lived for at least another 72 without a ventilator. So these physicians obviously clearly are not that good, because, I mean, they they can't even target what this disease is. Um, And then they completely misdiagnose it. So I... they, they they gave him a false prognosis. They starved him for 28 hours because they gave him a, a an incorrect prognosis. Then it comes down to when you are not just your role, but then you are working for the government, you become an agent of the government. Okay, if you okay, so if, if you're at the DMV and if you saw a member of the DMV clearly discriminating against black people at the DMV, you would say, that's pretty racist of the government. You, if, if, if you saw like a DMV officer not giving not giving black kids licenses for the same scores that they were giving white kids licenses, I would say that's racist of that employee of the DMV. But then, but then, what if the DMV office said, "Oh no, he's right"? Then it would continue, and then and then if it continued to be approved upon by each incremental level of the state, obviously we would say that's messed up. So in this case, yes, the, the fact that the doctor's opinions have been reinforced by the courts means that they are making the government's decision. They are acting as agents of the state. The fundamental thing that you have to go down to here is, so if the courts are ruling against moving him from Italy, or moving him to Italy, rather, and, and taking Alfie off of, you know, the payroll of the government in this hospital in the UK... Yes. They're... Like, they don't have to pay any more money. That's good for them, yes. honestly, if you're looking at it from an economics perspective. Instead, they're keeping him keeping him at the same hospital in the UK still paying for his treatment. Because it's about the supremacy of the state. And right now, they, they, aren't, they aren't really paying for him. They, right now, it is about the supremacy of the state. I, he's I, I, he's I, occupying a bed in a hospital. I believe that he's still... I believe and, he's being still monitored, and being monitored by doctors. They are still paying for him. If they tr- truly just wanted him off of their hands for a economic, you know, advantage or for an economic relief, then if the courts were a true actor of that, they would say, okay, fine, just go to Italy. Because at this point, it is the about issue the supremacy is of the state. The, the courts think they're in the right. Whether they're in the right or not, that's to be d- debated. But in terms of how they got to that decision, it's not one that's rooted in economics. I would argue that the courts... We're not thinking about the economics of it, but I think that that there are multiple levels of physician. I mean, even in America, whenever, for instance, I mean, prior to Obamacare, when hospitals would try and treat patients who didn't have insurance, there were often ways that that a series of the administrators, the physicians, the surgeon or the internal medicine physicians, surgeons and the nurses could work together to make sure they could slip in a patient. You know, like, I mean, administ- at a hospital, everyone has to work together just because of the way you're combining science with economics. So I, I, I the fact that Alfie Evans's parents made it so abundantly clear that there was a lot of personal onus that they were willing to take in terms of finding him another place of care. And they, and then there was the, initially when they just said they just wanted to take him home to die, and they said they couldn't do that. They have police barricading the room. So, I, I mean, but now, yes, yeah, so no, I, I had just checked. So Alvy Evans is still breathing on his own. No one took him up to a ventilator. This is just, the, the prognosis was just incorrect. They, 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 
I think that if you're going to argue, we're going to cease giving someone food and water, you better be pretty sure that they're going to die in the next six hours. Otherwise, I mean, if we treated a prisoner in, like, in our highest, in our most maximum security prison in the continental United States like this, there would and should be outrage for not giving someone food and water for 28 hours. Or if a prisoner had to be in this, like, dilemma because they were taken to the hospital. And if we treated it like this. If they had family members who were saying, we are willing to save him, we're willing to take him somewhere else. There would and should be outrage if this were the case. I'm I'm not saying that Elfie shouldn't be able to be moved to another hospital and that his parents shouldn't have the freedom to do so. Um, I think if I was in the same position and I wholeheartedly believe, despite the medical advice that had been given to me by doctors, if I still wholeheartedly believe that somehow he could be saved, I would want the freedom to be able to do the same thing. But the fact of the matter is, this is what they're debating in court. And what I do not agree with is the attacks from the right saying this is an occurrence of socialized medicine. This is because of economics in the UK wanting to save a buck on, you know, rationing out um, patients and hospitals. That part I don't agree with. Do I think that he should have the freedom to go to Italy um, in this particular instance because it seems like the parents are trying to have the child's best interests in mind? Sure. But from a legal perspective, that's not necessarily what we're dealing with right now, and I think we'll see the law change. I mean, that's why I... This is... I mean, it's funny because, like, I'm not even the biggest gun nut or anything, but it's cases like this that just remind me that we can never let go of the Second Amendment because... And, and, and it's also, I forget who pointed this out, but they said, if you, if you're, if you ever want a case of why, why an average civilian would ever want a high capacity magazine, this is why. Because honestly, if this were my kid, and if, and if they were physically preventing me, and if I were not in the UK, you bet I would do anything to get him on that plane. I don't think- I would not, like, it, it would not be, it would be a matter of life and death for me to get Alfie Evans on that plane. Yeah, but guns, my guns don't solve that. How many people would you have to shoot to be able to get him to Italy? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it was Joe Walsh, former congressman, that pointed that out. He said, why does an American need an AR-15 to make sure what's happening to Alfie Evans never happens here? That's why. I just think bringing the gun debate into this, there's not really a place for it because... Because it's, it, 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 it's about when your fundament, when your most fundamental rights are infringed upon. It's not when the government does stupid things. It's not when they increase taxes. It is when you feel like like you or your child's human rights are being violated. That and when you have to take a stand. That I mean, we, that we've done mean, it before. That doesn't mean we've you need an AR-15, though. Yes, it does, because you're not going to use a handgun to break out of a hospital. You would need an AR-15 to break out of a hospital. So you would shoot a bunch of innocent people infringe on their freedoms if, if, if they were the ones preventing me from saving my child they're not innocent they're murderers i don't know i think that in turn that would make you a murderer though too if you're going to shoot a police officer doing their job assigned to their up, post we have taken up arms. This, country, this country has taken up arms for violent revolution before and doing what's right we could have let the south go but instead the north continued to take up arms to do the right thing to end the enslavement of black people and that was the right thing to do. And people died. And you know what? Those soldiers were probably also murderers. But they did the right thing. I mean... There are lines that are bigger than just I just think life and death. Bringing, bringing like the gun debate into this, it just it, it doesn't make much, much sense to me. But that has been something that's been brought up on the right um, quite a number of times with this case, especially on Twitter. 
I mean, yeah, I mean, honestly, like, I don't think, like, I don't think the socialized medicine thing is really at the core of it, because there is a hypothetical universe where, not even hypothetical universe, te- okay, let's just say this were a different state, but the exact same scenario, that had the same, that the same economic infrastructure behind their healthcare. It is fully possible that the state could, could say we're ceasing to give him care, despite what the parents want, but also we don't have any of the fucked up notions of state supremacy, so you can take him and do whatever else you want with him. That's a totally realistic option that could happen under the exact same socialized system of medicine, and that would be far less inhumane. That sure, would, that's, that would not why, be, that's why we can critique the law that's there and hope for reform of it, but I don't think we can critique the medical professionals providing care in them blocking Alfie. It's the law. And you know what? We'll probably see a reform of this law because I think a lot of people in the UK and maybe even people on the courts feel bound to this law as it's written. And would maybe like to be able to apply the law in a different way, but they can't, given how it's written. So, I mean, we'll see. And I don't think the UK is the bastion of, 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 of originalism when it comes to their interpretation of the law. But, but, but I guess it's just it, the number one danger about bringing the state into a private industry is that then anyone who is a part of the industry becomes an agent of the state. So it's, it's impossible to divorce the medical professional from the enforcement of the court. Yeah, I mean, even in the U.S., though, you've seen similar cases of this. I know, like, so it, I don't know if it necessarily pertains to federal law, but definitely at state law, uh, there was a case, I think, like, about a year or so ago in Texas, um, where Texas has a law about uh, kind of states being able to infringe on these medical decisions if the child's welfare is at stake. And there's been lawsuits in the state of Texas over that, uh, Connecticut and Tennessee as well. And so this isn't something that just happens in socialized healthcare. It's something that happens all over, but it's about how is this law applied and how is this law written? And I think this has really probably taken a lot of people aback and, and made them look at, okay, let's see exactly how our law is written because if this particular case comes into light where there is this gray area of helping and harming the kid, if things continue or if things cease, then there needs to be able to have you know, that kind of leeway and lenience. So we'll see what happens moving forward, but this happens all over. It doesn't just happen in socialized medicine. No, I, I mean, obviously, as long as you have a state, there's going to be a line when the state steps in over the parents. I mean, that, and that's a good thing. When it, that's obviously a good thing. We want that to happen. We don't want parents abusing their children. Um, but I, I think it's just, when you have, this is just such a obvious case. To, I, I, like, just, there. I mean, you have, what, the head multiple heads within the EU coming out in support of Alfie Evans' parents. You have Italy. You have the Pope. I, it's just, I just don't understand why there isn't more of an outcry within the UK about this. And to me, it just signals that that government has become God out there. I don't know. And I think that that's something that's sort of incompatible with the American experiment at the very least. Um, but yeah, no, I don't know. This is... One thing that we do have to keep in mind, too, is in terms of this healthcare system and how it's interrelated with the government, we're looking at basically the most extreme example of socialized medicine. So I think, you know, whether you believe in free healthcare or not, the UK isn't the model that everyone follows. The healthcare system in France, the healthcare system in Italy, the healthcare system in Canada, they all differentiate so much because each country and the citizens within it and the tax makeup, it's all so different. And so a one-size-fits-all system does not exist in regards to healthcare. No, um, certainly Each not. system 
is completely different. Um, although maybe having the same outcome in terms of free healthcare, it's completely different in the makeup of it, the legislation behind it, how it's funded. And so this as an argument of the right saying, this is why we can't have free healthcare, whether you believe in free healthcare or not, I just don't think this is the argument to be made because free healthcare can be done in such a different way than it well, is like, done in the UK. I'm, okay, I wouldn't want to straw man this into to the right, like, talking about this being about free healthcare, because I, I certainly, that's not the first thing that this is about. It's, it's, it's a component, but it's certainly not the core of the issue, because again, you, this case is not happening in France, and this case is not happening in France for a reason. Um, it is happening in the UK because of how the NHS has been structured, you know? Yeah, that's um, what I'm saying. Like, let's critique the let's critique the UK, but let's not critique the benefits of free health care that can occur, um, you know, for citizens or for anyone else living in another country that has free health care. And I, I, just, I just think it obviously is a component. The same way that whenever anything bad happens to an American going through health care, when you hear about people racking up million-dollar health care bills— Our insurance model is a component of it. It's a lot of things. You know, our Medicare is is a component of it. I mean, there are just so many moving parts that are obviously all components of it. And I I think the the socialized aspect of it is obviously not the core of it. And it's not a stand-in for all forms of socialized medicine. It's just that when you do have a doctor as the agent of the state, that changes the relationship between the person who is giving care and the person who is receiving care or the person who is in charge of taking care of the person who is receiving care. I don't know. It's just a sad story. And and, and I hope I hope that progress is made over the weekend. I mean, we're on day five of little Alfie surviving on his own. So all hopes that he persists and that he does make it to Italy. Um, and that should be something that everyone, pro-life, pro-choice, left, right, white, black, should care about. I don't know. Well, I mean, it's also tough to make a decision. I think we'll see... Uh, in the coming weeks with the appeal process, uh, I would imagine that um, whoever the people are advising on uh, the health of LPR in regards to the court system and testifying, they would likely probably have to supply um, a lot more evidence uh, that would show that Alfie will live in immense pain should he continue to live or continue to undergo more procedures. Or it would be my prediction that, you know, especially with the public pressure, that he will move to Italy. But, um, you know, it's tough to make the judgment when also we don't know all the facts on the prognosis, um, diagnosis, as well as, you know, the physical pain that this patient uh, is receiving and undergoing. So probably more to come on that. We might have more information on that next week. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think, I, I honestly think by next week, Kanye is going to be the biggest advocate for socialized medicine, just like given the way like things are going on on his Twitter feed. So, you know, all I'll say is conservatives do not hold your breath in thinking that Kanye is going to become like the biggest thought leader of all time because maybe he'll convince Trump to uphold the Iran deal. We'll see. Yeah. God, <laughs> who knows? Who knows? I mean, there's so much news this week. Oh my God. So, and yeah, next week I'm sure we'll get to North Korea because that's a big deal. But um, in any case, have a nice weekend. Don't let these stories drive you too crazy. And remember, people are not gods. Yes. Or the government. And uh, follow us on SoundCloud and on iTunes. Toss us a like um, or a review. And as always, you can check us out on thepoliticalpregame.com and at Tiana the First and at Avery Hogarth on Twitter. Yeah.